where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Messy Intersection. My name is Diana Rice, and I'm a registered dietitian specializing in family health, as well as a certified intuitive eating counselor and mom of two. I have a great guest for you today, but I'm going to go ahead and put this plea up front for you. I usually put it at the end of the show, but if you're listening to the show and you're excited about today's episode, um, if you've enjoyed my past episodes, would you, pretty please, go into your podcast player and leave a review for the show? As you have probably heard on every other podcast you listen to, uh, the more ratings and reviews that a show has, the better it performs in search rankings and the more people can find the show. I'm also going to go ahead and do a little plug for my Facebook group, which is called Raising Anti-Diet Kids, because you are going to hear Courtney mention it actually in this episode. So if you like the kind of content we're talking about on the show and you want in on the conversation yourself, the Facebook group is a really awesome place to do that and ask questions about raising anti-diet kids and ditching the diet mentality for yourself because it's tough. So the link to that is in today's show notes. And you can also find me online on both Facebook and Instagram. I am at anti-diet kids. So let us get into today's show. My guest today is Courtney Vickery, and Courtney is going to be sharing her story of growing up with an eating disorder that unfortunately onset at a very young age. And I wanted to share the story because, you know, I think I'm mainly talking to parents of very young kids in this show. Um, if you are a parent of older kids and you still enjoy the show, hi, thank you for being here. Uh, I love that. Please reach out to me and tell me more about how I could serve your population. Uh, but I did start the show because the messy intersection is this place when we become parents and our body changes and we're trying to navigate a new way of feeding ourselves and learn about feeding kids. And I wanted to share Courtney's story because although I hope hope if you are a person interested in raising anti-diet kids and listening to this podcast, eating disorder prevention is certainly on your mind. But as Courtney and I will get into, we typically think of teenagers when we think about eating disorders in kids. We don't think of elementary age kids, and it's heartbreaking to hear about those cases. But what I'm hoping to raise awareness for with Courtney's story is that, you know, this is not something that we just have to think about when our kids become teenagers. We can be doing actionable things right now to help our kids feel good about their relationships with food and their bodies. It's not a perfect cure-all, never is, uh, but it is somewhere we can start. I do want to share a content warning about today's episode. I don't know if my podcast is the type of podcast that you might listen to with your kids around, um, like driving around in your car or something, but as Courtney and I will discuss in this episode, she does share some of the specific behaviors that she used to restrict her food intake as a kid, and she shared that she actually picked up some of these behaviors from well-intentioned resources about eating disorder awareness, unfortunately. Um, so definitely don't listen to this with your kids around, and if you're a person who might be at risk for engaging in disordered behaviors yourself, I hope you'll put some thought into whether you are in the right place to listen to this as well. And spoiler alert, uh, Courtney has fully recovered and now helps others do the same. And I know it can be really helpful to hear from someone um, who has recovered to illustrate the recovery is possible. So weigh that into your decision as well. 
So my guest today is Courtney Vickery. Courtney is a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor and a yoga teacher. She has been working in the field of health for over 15 years, and she is passionate about providing nutrition and body image healing services that are based on intuitive eating and weight inclusivity. She lives in Athens, Georgia with her husband, their six-year-old daughter, two-year-old son, one dog, and two cats, so full house for sure. Uh, And when she isn't cooking dinner or working with clients, you can find her curled up with a good science fiction book. I love that. I love hearing about people's hobbies, and I never would have pegged Courtney as a sci-fi person, but there you go. Um, I don't have a ton of hobbies myself, uh, but I do kind of like knitting if I can find the right pattern, so there you go. There's a fun fact about me too. And of course, just a reminder that the content on this show is for informational purposes only and not a substitute for professional medical advice. The views I express here are my personal opinions and do not represent the views of my clients or employers. Let's hear from Courtney. Hey, Courtney, welcome to the Messy Intersection. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, for you to be here today. I know you have a really important story to share that I am pretty sure that a lot of our listeners uh, want to hear, but might even be a little bit anxious about hearing. Um, so we're going to get into that. But before we jump in, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Courtney. I live in Georgia near Athens. If you're familiar with the University of Georgia and the Bulldogs. They just won the national championship. So that is where I'm from. And I live here with my husband, two kids, my dog, Oliver, and our two cats. I have my own private practice, and I also work part-time at the University of Georgia teaching nutrition classes. Awesome. And so as a dietitian in private practice, what do you focus on? So I focus on eating disorder recovery, disordered eating, and chronic dieting. And that is pretty much what we are going to be talking about today. Um, You have an important, but unfortunately not especially rare story about growing up with an eating disorder. Can you tell us about that as much as you are comfortable sharing? Yeah. So I would always say that I, you know, had disordered eating or, you know, started developing an eating disorder around the time that I was eight years old. You know, specifics that I remember as far as like being aware of my body and being uncomfortable in my body was I always hated wearing jeans (laughs) because they had structure to them, right? So it was uncomfortable to feel anything touching my stomach or, you know, anything like that. And, you know, I was in a bigger body at the time than my peers. So I did get kind of picked on a little bit. So, you know, it's just kind of a perfect storm to kind of lead into developing an eating disorder. And it kind of exacerbated around the time I was 10. Yeah, I mean, this is just heartbreaking. The thought of an eight-year-old enduring disordered eating. I have a currently six and a half-year-old girl, um, mm-hmm. so this is definitely something that I have on my mind. I imagine a lot of listeners might have on their minds, but you know, it's. I think the there's a lot having to do with eating disorders that we need to um, break apart the stereotypes, right? Like it is not always thin, white, cisgendered Mm -hmm. women. Um, But I think we typically picture teenagers. That's what I picture, at least. So talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be eight years old, 10 years old, and experiencing this. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny, I'll kind of touch on the thing you mentioned about it being a thin white woman. And I'm not saying I've not ever been in what would really be considered like large or fatter body, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have looked at me and thought she has an eating disorder apart from around when it first developed. Cause I, for the most part was in like a quote unquote normal weight range, but that doesn't mean that the behaviors weren't extremely disordered, but yeah, I think, you know, experiencing that at such a young age, it definitely leads to, you know, 
being different from others. I mean, most kids aren't running around with a book of calorie counts, counting their calories and having a little notebook that they write down all their calories in and thinking about exercise and burning calories. You know, a lot of people, even now that I talk to are like, what, why, why would you do that? And, you know, it comes down to, you know, (laughs) wanting a sense of control and finding that you can control this one thing. So you just really focus on it and you really focus on wanting to change your body and trying to feel comfortable in a body that you don't feel comfortable in. Yeah, that's really heartbreaking. Now, you as an adult were eight years old several decades ago. And so we didn't have smartphones with the MyFitnessPal or whatever. But I remember those those calorie tracking books. I remember seeing them in, in bookstores. And, you know, I, I my, my kids, like I said, not quite eight, but I hate the idea of her stressing about that. Mm-hmm. But this was your reality in elementary school. Now, I know that um, just to protect your privacy, you're not going to go into full details on what um, you believe led to the disorder, but you did mention living in a bigger body at the time, bigger than your peers, at least. Is there Mm -hmm. anything else that you want to share in terms of the stresses in your life that you you felt fed into this? Yeah. So one thing, I mean, I'll even say that I see this a lot with my own clients now, and I believe is kind of a key part in the perfect storm, so to speak, of eating disorder is this combination of diet culture in addition to any type of trauma that you have in your life. And that doesn't have to be big T trauma. That can be little T trauma, things that add up. And, you know, if we don't find ways to healthy ways to cope with our mechanism or coping mechanisms to kind of deal with those things, or if we're not taught those things, then we you know may find less beneficial ways to cope with them. And that's kind of what the eating disorder was for me. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that it kind of onset at age eight, but by age 10 was, you know, looking back, you're thinking that's when it really got disordered. Bring us into your little 10 year old's mind. I mean, what was going on there? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I actually was thinking about this today. I, like I said, I teach at UGA. So I was driving on campus and just, you know, all the students walking around and I just happened to see one girl and she just her body language just seemed more self-conscious. And it just made me remember that I used to walk with my arm, like, like a, like, like a T or a P, I guess, like my arm, mm-hmm. my hand would be on my elbow. My other arm would be down. Cause I wanted to have my arm across my body. Cause I was always trying to hide my body. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, it started when I was eight and it started as just like, I'm gonna, you know, the typical, like, I mean, maybe not for an eight year old, but for an older person, (laughs) you know, count calories and lose weight, exercise, things like that. And by the time I was 10, you know, the same thing that I feel like is the trajectory for a lot of people is that how does the diet stop? At what point is the calorie deficit going to end? Because you're going to have to keep lowering it. And, you know, it got down to, I mean, I don't know if you want me to share, but basically I would eat like half a pack of grits at breakfast and like an apple at lunch and I don't remember dinner. So that, you know, as a 10 year old, is not great. So I did lose a ton of weight. And at that point, people were making comments to me. Like I remember being cornered by the librarian at school and she flat out asked me like, but I mean, again, not a good way to approach a child. So if anyone takes this away, this is not the way to do it. Mm. <laughs> she kind of cornered me and like accused me of having an eating disorder versus asking me if I needed help. Like none mm-hmm. of them asked me if I needed help. They were just accusatory of like, you do have an eating disorder. Like what's mm-hmm. wrong with you? Yeah. 
And speaking of stereotypes, a big one uh, for people who don't work with eating disorders at all is that the individual could just choose to eat more. Mm -hmm. Just like, oh, they pointed out that I'm not eating enough. I will simply eat more. And <laughs> right, you know, exactly. Like, like oh, wow, I didn't know that. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. But you, freaking 10 years old, in a really tough oh. position, kind of on the one hand, you're going down this road of limiting your food intake because of what you have learned uh, about your body not conforming to ideals. And on the other hand, you're, you're have the wrong food intake, according to this librarian and other people in your life. Uh, yeah. This is, this is too much stress and pressure for a 10 year old. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I am so, so sorry that you endured that and that society is constructed to put 10 year olds through that. And that honestly, I mean, this was several decades ago and this is not necessarily something that is entirely out of the ordinary for other eight and 10 year old elementary age kids yeah. right now, which is why we both do the work that we do. Yeah, exactly. I feel like if anything, it's worse now just with the internet and social media, because, you know, when I was 10, there was magazines. Mm -hmm. um, there was no internet. <laughs> it didn't mm -hmm. exist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, you know, the magazines and the books and things like that. I remember reading a book when I was younger and I mean, this is just so silly, but I think about it all the time when I'm getting dressed. And I remember the store, the book was just talking about this girl. She was just going to go eat dinner with her friends or something. And she goes in her room and she just puts on her pants and just leaves. And I was always like, what? Who just like goes and puts their pants on without like stretching them to all get out <laughs> so mm. that they aren't touching your body at all? Like, mm. I just remember being like, I want that. Like, I want to be able to just put on a pair of pants and just go. So it just was just so weird to see that like, this probably isn't normal. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I'm so sorry you went through that. Um, and because I have some background on um, your story and when you finally got help, you pretty much experienced this your entire adolescence and into your early 20s, correct? Yes. So like when I was 10, it was, you know, restriction. And when I was probably about between 10 and 11, like right before I went to middle school when I was 12, like which is sixth grade for us, I remember watching this episode on Oprah and they were doing eating disorder awareness. And it's such a catch 22 because you want to raise awareness about what behaviors are disordered, but you don't want to give people ideas. And I got the idea of purging from that episode. Mm. Um, so that's around when I was 12 is when that started. So now it's a combination of like restricting and purging. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, ah, I'm just pausing to just <laughs> be angry at Oprah for a second. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think you also at some point got treatment during your adolescence. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So when I was in middle school, I, again, it was magazines, you know, mm -hmm. then we didn't have internet. So I brought my mom this uh, magazine article that talked about bulimia and mm -hmm. things like that. And I was like, I think I have this. And that was the first time I'd ever told anyone that I was purging or was doing any of the things I was doing because, you know, when you lose weight, you get praised for it. Not just mm -hmm. saying my family did, but like other people in my life did. Mm -hmm. And so I shared that with them and we found, I mean, there are not that many choices in our area <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in Georgia. There are obviously more now, um, but there was a place that was close. Again, I'm from Hartwell too. So I wanted to clarify that. Like I, I am living in Athens now, but I am from Hartwell, Georgia. So there's literally nothing there. <laughs> so we found a place and it was outpatient and I went there for a little while, but honestly, um, I wouldn't say it was helpful. Mm -hmm. I remember I had this therapist there and it was my first therapist and she kind of just let me sit there in silence because I wasn't going to talk. 
And <laughs> the other, she ended up leaving. And then I got another therapist. It was a man. And he talked the entire time and never let me talk. I remember just looking out the window and he discharged me because he said there was nothing wrong with me. And I was like, how would you know? Mm. <laughs> you never mm. let me talk. So wow. that kind of turned me off from like wanting to do anything else like that. And it turned me off from like ever wanting to work with a male therapist again. Mm -hmm. So I went through high school was traumatic <laughs> for me as I'm sure it was for many people, but I was bullied and harassed in the ninth grade by this group of girls. They would oink at me when I walked down the hall. <sighs> they would like, just, I mean, literally just, I don't even want to go into all the details. I mean, just crazy stuff. They mm -hmm. don't deserve my time or energy <laughs> going over that. So that was, you know, not helpful <laughs> in any kind of recovery at that time. I will say at this point later, I met my now husband. So we've been together since I was 15 and, you know, he was a really big support in me, you know, healing and stuff. And when I went to college, I transferred to UGA my second year. And I just remember he, like, I wouldn't eat pretty much most of the day. I was vegan at this point <laughs> and I would have like, I don't even know what I had for breakfast. It was nothing. It was vegan stuff. So it was nothing. <laughs> and then lunch was like a bag of vegetables and that was it. And then he would be gone in the evenings because he worked. So I would, you know, my version of a binge and then I would purge. And it just mm -hmm. got to the point where I was starting to get scared for my like life <laughs> with oh. my heart and stuff um, mm -hmm. and freaking out about it. So I actually called the health center at our university and got into treatment therapist, even though I said I didn't want one. And I still work with him to this day. Wow. We see each other every week. He is in private practice. So that's why we were able to reconnect. So he was a huge part of my recovery because it was the first time anyone was like, this isn't about the food. Hmm. Um, this is about other things. So mm -hmm. being able to realize that and like process those things and work through them and then develop other coping mechanisms. So I saw him like twice a week when I was in treatment and I had a group once a week too. Oh, I think you touched on something really important. You and I as dietitians, when we treat people with eating disorders, our role to stay in our lane is the food, right? There's body image mm -hmm. stuff as well, but it all comes back to how do you make your food choices? And mm -hmm. even in my advocacy work for, you know, preventing eating disorders on setting this young, I am, oh, I'm fighting diet culture, right? I'm saying right. we don't want, you know, moms fussing about their weight in front of kids and, you know, sharing all these tips there. But you... Uh, just mentioned that it is not only about the food or even the body image in this mm -hmm. case. Um, yeah. So the, to the degree that you want to, what role do the, the psychological elements play? And, you know, what can yeah. we tease these out from each other? Do they go hand in hand? You know, mm -hmm. I, I imagine parents want to know these things. Yeah. No, I think, so I think the first thing I always tell parents is like, don't take the blame for this. Like mm -hmm. we're all doing the best we can. You know mm -hmm. better, you do better. But I do think if you're already, if you have a family history of like any kind of mental illnesses or health conditions, like even anxiety, depression, et cetera, that you're obviously at a higher risk of developing those things. And then you put that together with, like you're mentioning the diet culture piece. I kind of feel like it's just, again, like that perfect storm, right? Like you're already predisposed. Maybe you had some traumatic events and now you're dealing with diet culture. And that just seems like the easiest way to 
control things, to get validation from other people, to feel like you're worthy because everything in this society is so external. Like, doesn't, you know, we focus so much on what somebody looks like or what they have achieved, et cetera, versus who they are as a person. So, yeah, I think it's when I look at eating disorders, I think of it as mostly a mental, I mean, it's a mental health disorder is the food piece is important for them to be nourished. But I talk to clients a lot about their relationship with food because most, not all, but most therapists aren't going to talk about it with them. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about like the why and you know, all those things behind their food choices. Yeah. Yeah. It's super important. And it, you know, it's, it's another thing to point, like, certainly the part you just brought up about it is not the parent's fault is, is so true. There are like protective things that you, if you're especially concerned about it, if you're a person listening to this podcast, you could probably put in place, but it doesn't protect all kids forever. And um, we also have to grant parents a lot of grace for doing the best they can, right? If right. if your own mom was dieting and you learned that this is just the, the way that women are supposed to, I say women, it's everyone, but you know, women yeah. bear a, a significant chunk of it. This is, this is all we know. And there's I hope there's a tide shift happening right now, right, to to raise Mm -hmm. awareness about doing something differently. But, you know, a a kid can grow up in diet culture and never get an eating disorder too, right? right? Uh, So it's great for parents to have the knowledge, but also to give themselves uh, grace. Yeah, always give themselves grace because you can't, like, I have a six and a half year old daughter too, which we look mm -hmm. closer so they could play together. And something that I've talked to my therapist about with her and not necessarily with eating disorders, but just in general is that she's her own person. And at the end of the day, I can't hold myself responsible for all of her choices because mm. she is her own person and yeah. I can only you know, guide her. I can't make her do or not do anything. Yeah. And I, I honestly, exactly what you just said, I believe in that so strongly in terms of raising well-rounded, well-adjusted kids. Like one of my Instagram posts recently was about, you know, showing unconditional love for your kid's body and mm-hmm. not like forcing your ideals of their body or what you've learned from diet culture is the ideal body or whatever, but that's just one slice of the pie, right? Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, you know, your kid's going to choose a career path. They're going to choose a boyfriend or girlfriend and all these things. And all those things are probably not going to line up with our dream life for them. Or even, I mean, I remember the first time I had a major breakup with a boyfriend and I'm sure my mom wanted to scream, he's an asshole. You're better (laughs) Without him, right? I now looking back can think she's like, oh, she was letting me figure that out on my yep. own time. Uh, yep. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because we can't, we can't protect them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we want to try to protect them from eating disorders. Yeah, there's definitely like, things that we can we can do to kind of put protective measures in place and know that we did what we could. Yeah, but at the end of the day, yeah, they are their own people, and we can just you know love them unconditionally and support them in whatever they need help with. And I think that's another big piece is I could probably talk about parenting all day, so I won't do that. But (laughs) as far as like things I do with my daughter, I'm sure that you've talked to people about on the podcast already, but it's just, you know, making sure that, you know, I'm a really big book person. So if there's a book out there about like inclusivity or bodies, you know, I've got it (laughs) Yeah, because I just feel like it's just a much better way to explain things and show her things than it is for me to try to explain it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do a lot of books, we talk about bodies. If she makes, you know, comments, we talk about it later. Like I'm just thinking the other day she was in the store and she saw someone in a bigger body and she just was making a comment about it. And I was like, you know, 
you can't make comments like that in public where they can hear you because they may not want to hear that about their body. And they may not want any comments on their body because we don't need to be commenting on anybody's body. That's their body. And this is our body. And that's none of our business. Mm -hmm. So and it's so hard to um, I've been in your Facebook group. Thank you for letting me join because I am both parents <laughs> too. So I like love <laughs> seeing, uh, you know, I have, I'm not perfect in any way. So, mm -hmm. you know, seeing what everyone else is struggling with too, because it, it is hard. It's hard to, especially if you have a child who's neurodivergent, which my daughter is. Mm. And so for her, everything is very black and white. So, you know, when we talk about candy and stuff and she wants it, I mean, she does really want it all the time lately, which that's another discussion. Cause I think that's related to some of the rewards based things they're doing at her school. Mm. Um, yeah. And <laughs> So it's hard for me to say like, okay, well, we can't have that right now. And she wants to know why. And it's like, okay, well, if I tell her that it has quote unquote more sugar than, you know, something that has more nutrition in it that we need right now for dinner in order for us to grow and feel full and satisfied, et cetera, versus eating that and being hungry again in 10 minutes. She doesn't quite understand that. She's like, but I want this. And if, is this good or bad? That's all that mm. she's going to hear. So it is such a balancing act of making sure that I'm presenting the information in a way that will make sense to her. Yeah. Well, um, you are welcome to talk about parenting as much as you want, because <laughs> this is I mean, yes. the, the the reason I call it the messy intersection is that I believe that it's this this new parenthood. And even if you have a mm -hmm. six and a half year old, you're a relatively new parent. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're coming into this trying to figure out parenting, but figure out ourselves. I mean, mm -hmm. I, don't, I won't fast forward too much, but, you know, I imagine how you felt about your body change after mm -hmm. having your own kids yeah. and, and it's all tangled up together. But that part about knowing what to say, I mean, when, when people join my Facebook group, I ask, what is your biggest challenge in raising anti-diet kids? And at least 50% of people say, knowing what to say. And what yeah. is, I think, so fascinating is that I, I, I do provide some suggested language, like especially on Instagram posts or in the Facebook group, but it's so much more powerful and sustainable for the parent to cultivate their own intuition of what the right thing is to say mm -hmm. in the moment to their own kid, right? Because when we look to, oh, wait, let me just consult Diana's page about what to say about candy. Okay. She says, say this about candy. Well, <laughs> like we, we, I, I don't blame anybody. We're conditioned to look elsewhere for the answers, right. um, but you know, it, to, to that degree, it's the same Thing that a diet does for us is mm -hmm. it, it takes the decision making out of it for us. Yeah. Um, which I mean, is one thing I'll say, like, since she's older and she's, I mean, I'm not just saying this because she's my kid, like, she's so intelligent. And so, one thing is, I can kind of start to do what I do with my, obviously, I work with, I work with college students and above, <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of start doing those reflection questions. Like if she says like, I want some candy, et cetera. I'm like, well, I'm wondering why your body feels like it wants candy right now. Like what's going on? Are you, are you bored? Are you hungry? Do you just want something sweet? Like all of those are fine. I just, you know, kind of start to wonder and get curious about like what your body's telling you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we can work on stuff like that with even elementary age kids, yeah. but then uh, I wonder, you know, if we focus 
too much on it? Like, are we like pressuring mm-hmm. them to, especially with neurodivergence, I know this is huge, yeah. like the introceptive awareness is, I don't know anything about your daughter, but I do, yeah. <laughs> I, as, a, as a pediatric dietitian, I do work with kids who have varying degrees of neurodivergence and almost to like pressure a kid, well, is your, t- is your tummy hungry or not? Right. Um, and it depends on the kid, neurodivergent or not. The kid might be like, I don't know. I, I don't think my, my own daughter um, has any mm-hmm. neurodivergence. And I've been talking about this for years. She still doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I want candy because I want candy. It's candy. Sometimes she says that. She says it just tastes good. And then I just say, okay, well, let's do it with dinner. So you can tell me if that's right or wrong. I just usually say, let's (laughs) serve it with dinner. Well, uh, like I was saying before, there are no perfect answers. I think think it's different for every family. But the, the biggest thing, I mean, is... Is this leading to like more or less stress for your child around food? Right. That, that would always mm-hmm. be like my go-to. Like if you feel like the like kid is stressed out sitting in their seat waiting for dessert to come and not focusing oh, yeah, on no. their, <laughs> not focusing on their dinner. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is actually what I was uh, talking to Amy Severson about in my episode um, two episodes mm-hmm. ago is the adult cultivating that intuitive eating voice. And yeah. it is, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, it is that much harder to help your kids with when you don't have that <laughs> voice for yourself. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. But I want to get back to your story. This is your episode. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm sure this is so valuable for parents. I mean, you know, so, so you, you you would say it was sort of early 20s that you started working with this therapist and, and finally started getting to the root cause of the issues. What was healing like? Like, what is it like to mm-hmm. have spent so much time in eating disorder, disordered eating, and start to pull yourself out of it? What is that like? Yeah, it's it's weird, too, because, again, I had read, you know, Intuitive Eating came out in, like, what, 1995, and mm-hmm. I had read it in college when I was in recovery, but it wasn't such a movement like it is now. So recovery, for me, was basically just... <laughs> I feel like orthorexia in a way because mm, I just yeah. moved from like restricting and purging and stuff to obviously not purging anymore and not restricting as much, but really focusing on health in that way. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything mm-hmm. being still perfect, but at least I was eating. <laughs> so, mm. you know, I think it's definitely been a journey. Like I say 22 is when I recovered because I wasn't actively participating in those disordered behaviors anymore, but it's still a spectrum, right? Like I don't like, you don't snap your fingers and like all of a sudden Mm -hmm. your whole relationship with food and your body is healed. I would say it's taken like, you know, gradually over time, the past decade, like still working on it. I always tell people like, this isn't a 12 week process where we're Mm -hmm. just going to heal ourselves. And it's not a diet. It's every day, every meal, not it. And it's not saying like every day, every meal is a struggle. It's saying that just take it meal by meal and take it day by day. And some days will be easy and some days maybe won't be easy. But eventually over time, if you look back at where you started to where you are now, you will see a huge difference if you keep doing the work. Hmm. And that's sometimes hard for people to hear because they can't visualize that because all they can see is how hard it is right now. So I think just, you know, in the work I do, especially like continuing to support them and let them know, like, actually do know what you're going through for the mm-hmm. most part. And I think it helps for them to see someone that did recover because a lot of them don't believe you can recover because they're so yeah. deep in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that brings me to my next question. Did your own personal life experience influence your decision to become a dietitian and specifically to treat eating disorders? 
Oh yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Cause I <laughs> actually, my first degree is political science because I was in recovery or in treatment at the time. And I just did not want to try to study dietetics when I was mm-hmm. in an active eating disorder. Plenty of people so, do. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I would say the majority of, or, you know, some form of it, but yeah. So that was my first degree. I, I worked for a year after that in politics do not recommend. <laughs> and then I came back and had to do another undergrad because I didn't have mm-hmm. any science or anything. You have to do the whole DPD, uh, you know, set of courses. So I did that, got my master's and, you know, I never, it's funny. I always told my husband, like, I never actively like saw out like, and said, I work with eating disorders, even when mm-hmm. I was outpatient, but they just always kind of found me. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I believe in like energy and stuff like that. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, people, they know, <laughs> So I feel like even though I didn't advertise it that way, and it wasn't like that was what the wellness center that I worked at was focused on. It wasn't like we said or advertised, like we can help you with your eating disorder recovery. It's just that those people would find me. And then Mm -hmm. when they start talking to me, you know, it all kind of comes out. And I had one client that I worked with at the wellness center specifically, who, you know, you always have that first client that kind of like is your, you know, I don't want to say favorite client, but like Mm -hmm. their first client that just kind of really made you be like, this is what I want to do. And that person was that, that person for me. And I've just kind of worked toward finding a way to get back to it. And that's when I started my practice in 2020. Wow. Yeah. Well, what a year to start a practice. I know, right? I was like, ooh, <laughs> pandemic, let's start my own business. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, sadly, it uh, exacerbated a lot of disordered eating for a lot right. of people. Yeah. Is I'm curious, did you decide to study nutrition? Were you pretty much recovered at that point? Or was mm-hmm. uh, the orthorexia playing a role at all? Hmm. I would say, hmm, it's hard to say because so I was a fitness instructor too. Hmm. <laughs> so I taught everything. I've I'm a yoga teacher, a cycle teacher. I taught kickboxing. I taught step was the first thing I ever taught and still was my favorite weightlifting, everything but Pilates I've done. it. So, and I I mean, of course, like I would count the calories that I burned and stuff and still count the calories on my fitness pal because it was new then. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I recognize it as disorder though, because it was quote unquote healthy and all my friends were, Mm -hmm. um, because all my friends were instructors. Mm-hmm. So we all were on this like pursuit of being perfect. So yeah, yeah I would say like, yeah. um, it was just, I was trying to do something that I enjoyed because that was my big thing was I didn't enjoy what I was doing in political science. <laughs> I didn't want to sit at a desk and I knew that clinical dietitians walked a lot and mm. were, you know, doing things that like move and not necessarily just to, like, you know, burn calories. Like I just didn't mm-hmm. want to sit. I wanted mm-hmm. to like get up and do stuff and just, I don't know, do something I liked. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of what led me to go back was I was like, well, I like nutrition and I mm-hmm. shadowed a clinical dietitian to see what her day was like. And I liked it. Oh, I liked the science part of it too. So, yeah. well, speaking of moving around, I didn't actually realize that you were quite so into exercise um, <laughs> e- even yeah. now, right? Mm-hmm. What role did exercise play for you growing up and, and what role does it mm-hmm. play now? That's funny you say that because I think about it and I'm like, <clears throat> how many, I mean, now maybe it's different, but you know, people that are my age, like when you were a kid, did you really go to the gym and like work out hmm. or were they playing? Mm-hmm. Like, were they active outside playing and doing stuff? I mean, I grew up like riding my bike all the time and that wasn't, that was just because I liked it. Like, And I still do. We actually rode bikes this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I do remember again, when I was 10 and it had gotten worse, like 
doing sit-ups in my room all night until I was sick. Oh, yeah. Um like doing anything that was body weight because I didn't have any like weight weights. So like sit-ups and, you know, whatever I could think of like to move my body and make it feel like I was working out. And then, you know, like I joined the Y when I was like sometime between 12 and 14, I remember like going to the Y and like walking and running on the treadmill and like doing the weight machines. And I just kind of wonder like, is that nor like, I don't normal subjective, but like mm-hmm. were other kids 12 and 14 going to the gym and working out? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that brings me to an important question though. Um, how can pa- any parents listening to this know whether the various things that their kids are engaging in, whether it's um, exercise or paying special attention to nutrition and their food intake, how can we know if it might yeah. be a sign of an eating disorder? Yeah. I mean, first thing, if we're talking about parenting, I always, Mm -hmm. you know, I really focus on like making sure I'm connecting with my kid because if I'm not connecting with them, then how are they going to tell me what's really going on? Mm -hmm. Because I don't ever want them to feel like I'm accusing them or they're in trouble. So, but some signs that I think of, and if, you know, if I'm thinking of myself too, and like what would have been signs (laughs) would have been um, going to the bathroom after eating every Mm -hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And you you won't hear it like you won't you won't hear it. It's not like a when someone's sick and they go and they throw up or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's silent if you've mm-hmm. been doing it for a while. And that and then another thing is like if you are restricting and you notice like they're kind of just pushing their food around the plate. They're not really picking it up and eating it. And they might take a bite every now and then, but like they're just making it look like they're eating. They're just pushing it around, cutting it up into smaller pieces, taking a bite every now and then just kind of pretend eating, drinking enormous amounts of water, not just because they're thirsty. Like had a client that was drinking like, oh my gosh, I can't remember. It was like something like 120 ounces a day or something, like mm-hmm. just trying to not feel hungry. Mm-hmm. One thing for me, which may be kind of weird, like chewing ice a lot, mm-hmm. yeah. like using that as like pretend food. <laughs> mm-hmm. If they complain of stomach issues a lot, I actually was talking to a friend about this yesterday because I had a lot of GI issues when I, especially when I got to college and went to like multiple GI doctors and had multiple procedures that were awful (laughs) done. And I was telling her how angry it makes me now because not a single one of them screamed me or asked me if I had like an eating disorder or signs of an eating disorder. And it's like, that's so obvious now that that's why. (laughs) Yeah, I had so many problems. Yeah. And unfortunately, when you don't have that information, it can mm-hmm. exacerbate. You think maybe it's the gluten, maybe it's, right. you know, and you mm-hmm. start eliminating more and more things from your diet when really um, not not meeting your needs really right. takes a toll on your gut. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so if a parent saw any of those signs, what would be uh, the best way to take care of your kid in that case? I'm laughing because my first reaction was call me and you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Depending on their age, if they're younger, call Diana. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, obviously the first thing is coming to them and and again, asking questions that are not accusatory and that are not blaming or shaming or anything like that. Just kind of saying like, hey, what's going on? I'm worried about you. Like a compassionate, empathetic approach as opposed to, you know, your reaction may be to be defensive because you may feel like it's something to do with you as a parent. But it's important to remember that has nothing to do with you necessarily as a parent. This is not about 
them, not the parent, it's about the child. Mm -hmm. Um, So talking to them about what's going on, see what they feel comfortable sharing with you. But I, you know, I'm a big supporter of therapy, obviously. Mm -hmm. So if you can find a weight neutral or haze therapist, I wouldn't go Mm -hmm. to just any therapist, sadly, Mm -hmm. because that can cause more harm. But, you know, and if you can't, if therapy is not accessible, then, you know, I'm sure, do you have resources on your website or your Instagram or? Yeah, well, this is reminding me I should really get some. I mean, a a lot of the approach that I use with my adolescent clients is outlined in the book, How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder. Mm So, and I'm sure that they have a whole appendix in there of of resources Mm -hmm. to start with. But I like, you know, not to be accusatory, not like the librarian (laughs) that cornered you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, because these poor kids, like, you know, it's like you can't do anything right. You can't get your body right. right. You can't uh, eat as much as your parent apparently thinks that you need to, you know. Mm-hmm. So we really have to hold space for the kids. Um, but, you know, we've talked about how it isn't uh, a parent's fault that a lot of parents, um, a lot of factors that are going to play into an eating disorder onsetting, but there are things that parents can do to at least set, set the stage of reducing the risk, basically, we'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. Um, what would you say some of those things are? Yeah. So I think making sure that we're paying attention to how we're talking about food, that we're not categorizing it as good or bad, you know, getting more information from your Instagram on how to talk about <laughs> those things would probably be helpful. And also like making sure we're not talking about our body in a negative way. Cause I think sometimes, and maybe this is just what I have seen, but we do it in a way that we don't even realize we're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's so subconsciously happening and we have to be more aware about how we're talking about our body. Even if it's just like something about a bathing suit, like, oh, I can't wear a bathing suit this summer. I'm not ready. You know, mm-hmm. even just a tiny comment like that, like that can make a kid think, well, should I not wear a bathing suit like that? Like, am I ready? What does right. that mean? <laughs> you know, they start right. to kind of wonder what's wrong with my body. You know, I'm thinking of a client who said that they would go like to the lake during the summer and there would be all this food out, you know, during the day, but they weren't allowed to eat it until nighttime. And if they did eat it, they'd get in trouble because it wasn't time to eat yet. Mm. So, you know, again, I think this goes back to that, you know, hard combination of division of responsibility, but also like they, you can't expect them not to eat all day. If they're telling you they're hungry, then you should probably be like, let's get something to eat. (laughs) You know, don't Mm -hmm. judge them for feeling hungry. That's another Mm -hmm. thing I hear a lot of them say is that they felt judged for being hungrier than other people. Mm, Yeah. And that's something I talk to the the parents of my clients about all the time is that we get these ideas of this is how much is appropriate for a three-year-old and a six-year-old or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But nobody really knows how much is the right amount of food for any individual kid's body, except for that kid, you know, right. and, and parents are often shocked that a kid can eat so much. They feel like they're eating more than the adult eats or um, they feel mm-hmm. like they have no stopping point. Now, part of this is could be if the kid has been restricted, then we're going right. to see that, that binge restrict cycle in the kid. Um, but sometimes it's just kid needs a lot of food today. Yeah. Who knows why? They're, they're growing. I mean, I almost am like, is there a limit? No. <laughs> they're growing. I just think about all the things that their body is doing right now and how much, you know, that is needed to do those processes and to grow. 
Yeah. So and and by making comments on it, we are teaching the kid um, that they can't trust their own appetite, and and that right. is unfortunately um, what yeah. leads to a lot of issues. But then the flip side of that is if a kid does not have a very big appetite on any given mm-hmm. day or any given season in their life, this gets a little bit trickier because sometimes if, you know, maybe your family just moved or the parents are separating or something, you know, it, this happens to adults too. Your appetite is just a little bit depressed, but we don't necessarily want to say, oh, it'll all even out. It's totally fine. Or, you know, heaven forbid, the, it does lead to weight loss in the kid. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Praise right. anything like that. But at the same time, we don't want to be telling them once again that their appetite is wrong and mm-hmm, they need yeah. to eat the amount uh, that the adult deems correct. Although I, th- that is literally what I do with my adolescent eating disorder clients is we, mm-hmm. we set an amount of, to eat and uh, it's pretty important that the kid eat it. But outside of eating disorder treatment. Right. Yeah. I always tell people that too. They're like, oh, well, you know, how you tell people what to eat. And I'm like, no, only if they have an eating disorder, because they literally don't know what their body needs because they've restricted for so long and they're not in touch with their body anymore. And, you know, then we teach them how to do that, but they have to nourish their body back to baseline first. Yeah. Yeah. So I think being aware of those signs of, um, childhood and adolescent eating disorders that you shared, and I'll I'll be sure to include some more resources in the show notes, kind of review those separate from your kids. And Mm -hmm. if you're not noticing those signs, but it, you know, a depressed appetite might have something to do with stress or, you know, whatever else is going on in the kid's life. I think we can respect that, that that might lead to a lower appetite for a time, but um, also if your kid is stressed or needs some support for a major life change, uh, we want to make sure that we're providing that yeah. as well. Yeah. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sign of a depressed appetite is just sort of a red flag to looking at mm-hmm. what else is going on in the kids. Yeah, life. definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of feeding kids, and we touched on this a little bit, I would love to know what you bring into feeding your own kids in light of uh, your experience with food growing up and what you want them to to know and understand about food um, as they get older. Like what is, I'm just curious, honestly, because sometimes yeah. I'm looking for hot tips. What is feeding oh. like in your house? <laughs> I was like, I don't think I have any tips that I probably got them from you, honestly. <laughs> so like I said, I have a six and a half year old. And honestly, it's, it's funny. We were talking about this yesterday with my husband. Like she's never, I don't like using the word picky. Cause I know like, you know, there's reasons why they don't like things, but she's pretty much always eaten anything that we mm-hmm. have provided her. So like, mm-hmm. I've been able to do, you know, the whole, like, this is our dinner. And I know there's one thing on the plate that you will like, and mm-hmm. she will try most anything. Mm-hmm. My son, on the other hand, is not that way. Um, he's two and a half. We've been in like feeding therapy and stuff because he had laryngomalacia, which is basically like the floppy um, area in his trachea. And so he has choked some, like, you know, legitimately choked, not just the gag that they do sometimes. So he just has anxiety around eating at the table sometimes. So we've just really been working on that. I think you and I messaged about it some yeah. the other day. Yeah. And I, you know, I bought like the the chairs that are more anatomically correct for them. So, you know, their feet aren't dangling it's like the, what, the Stokey chair, but it's the off-brand because I can't, yeah, can't afford that. Yeah, we have that. those too. I'll put um, some links <laughs> to those. <laughs> yeah. So I have some off-brand. I can't remember the name of it mm-hmm. on Amazon. It's like half the price. Um, yeah. So they both sit in those and like honestly do feel like that really helped them stay in their seat because, mm-hmm. you know, 
if you think about it, like I hate going to a restaurant where I have to sit at the bar and like, there's nowhere to put my feet. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, I don't want my, I don't want my feet to dangle while I'm yeah. eating. That does not feel good. So I feel like that's helped a lot. They really like it when we do like family style, like where they can serve themselves. They just do like much better when we do it that way, as opposed to if I plate their food, if mm-hmm. I plate their food and put it down, like my daughter may eat it, but my son just starts and is like, yeah. I'm no, like, no, like, mm. you know, like, I'm not going to eat that. Even though like, it could be something he loves. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like last night I actually picked up dinner because my daughter had dance and it was late and I was by myself because my husband was working. So we picked up from this local place called Maypole and I got them like brown rice and, chicken and macaroni and cheese, which, you know, sounds like something a kid would love, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, some, and some broccoli on the side because, you know, something green. And yeah, he didn't touch it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he was like, no, I'm not going to eat it. So it is, it is stressful. But, I, you know, as far as what has been helpful, I think is having the chair be somewhere that they actually want to sit and feel comfortable sitting in and then involving them in any of the cooking that I'm doing. That's reasonable because I know, for me, like sometimes I just want to get it done because we need to get to bed mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, or giving like for him, especially I can give him something like, quote unquote, fake. Like his grandma brought a bag of black eyed, like dried black eyed peas the other day and some like flour and water. And he just, you know, quote unquote, cooked because his little kitchen's mm-hmm. right next to our kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then for my daughter, like I said, she mentioned that she's neurodivergent. So like mm-hmm. the fake play stuff does not work for her. <laughs> she has to do the real thing. So I actually converted her little Ikea kitchen to like a functioning kitchen. Hmm. Um, It has like the water pump spout that you would put like in a water jug so that it pulls Mm -hmm. the water out into the sink. And then she has a hot plate that she actually, she cooks eggs all the time. So she like cooks her own eggs on there all the time. So, you know, just trying to involve them in it when I can and then doing the family style and then having the seat be something they actually want to sit in. And of Mm -hmm. course, I do have one rule, one rule of my house that I always stick to. And that is no screens at the table yeah. at family at dinner. If they want to do it, like, you know, Friday nights, we have movie night and they sit in the living room at their table and they watch a movie while they eat pizza. It's pretty much always the same like mm-hmm. setup because they love it. So, um, and it's easy for me, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just at dinner, I just want us to actually like talk to each other mm-hmm. and not yeah. be looking at a screen. Yeah. I know that that can be tough having come out of your own disordered eating and then watching your kid struggle to eat. I'm thinking about your son in particular. Does that bring up anything for you? Do you have to, I don't know, take deep breaths? I do because I I find myself getting frustrated, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I mean, it's frustrating as a parent in general, but Mm -hmm. also because you start to think like, is there something, I mean, obviously he's two, so he's not thinking that, but like, mm-hmm. is there something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Cause that's always where my brain goes to is mm-hmm. I've done something wrong or didn't mm-hmm. do something right. But yeah, I think more things come up with my daughter just cause she's getting older and noticing bodies more and her, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't really care about clothes that much, but she notices like her clothes, like I get nervous because like if her pants are, you know, she's moving up to the next size, understandably, mm-hmm. I'm like, afraid that she's going to care that they're tight. Cause remember like I was really weird about it. So I have to just, it's yeah. best for me not to even say anything. Cause she's not showing me that she's uncomfortable. She's just like, Oh, they don't fit like whatever. Give me mm-hmm. those, <laughs> you know? So yeah, she doesn't yeah. have those thoughts. Think- thankfully in a way, like I'm just hyper aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a burden you're, Got to carry, basically, um, having had yeah. this. One question I wanted to ask you was, you know, 
we talked about you basically from the time you were eight until your early 20s. I mean, I'm sorry. That is your whole entire childhood. Yeah. Like, what is it like to walk as an adult with this being Mm -hmm. your story? Yeah, I think... You know, of course, most of my days are spent talking to to clients or teaching nutrition or doing mm-hmm. something in the realm of nutrition. So I do think it's been helpful, obviously, in my work because I really do understand and can relate mm-hmm. to my clients in a way that is helpful. But in another way, just like the thing I mentioned with my daughter, like probably an, another parent may not even have thought that at all. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe you know, they would think it wasn't a big deal if she did get upset about them being tight. Mm. Um, like, why do I need to go up another size? Or if she started making comments like that, you know, maybe they were just like, oh, be quiet. Like you're being ridiculous. Just put these on. You're still a kid. Like that's invalidating and can make things worse. So I just, I, you know, I see everything through this lens, which is a blessing and a curse Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's always on my radar, you know, and sometimes like you mentioned earlier, like people grow up or are around diet culture and it doesn't affect them, but I just like can't see how, cause that's just my lens of how I see the world. (laughs) Well, I wonder if that influenced um, that post on Instagram that I wanted to talk to you about, um, which is one mm-hmm. that, that I shared as well as soon as you posted it. The post is, yeah. um, sadly, that we have data that shows that eight out of 10 10-year-olds are afraid of being, quote, overweight. And do you remember what you said? <laughs> They're not afraid of being unhealthy. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. afraid of being in a society that, you know, is anti-fat, basically. Yeah, afraid of how society mm-hmm. treats those in bigger bodies. And that is kind of the core of the issue here. But sadly, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen this already. My kids in first grade, we get sent home stuff about limiting sugar or even our mm-hmm. state curriculum has, can a pre-K student identify a healthy breakfast, you know? And so mm-hmm. kids are certainly going to get the ideas about bigger bodies from just culture and media and parents and whatever. But anything that ever makes it into their like education generally has to do with being like healthy. Mm-hmm. And and sadly that that can mask if a, a freaking eight-year-old is trying to restrict their food intake. Mm-hmm that, you know, this concept of health will mask it. Um, right. So like, why was it important to you to share that? What's your take on how kids pick up on these ideas? And what can we actively do as parents um, yeah. to kind of fight this concept? So I'm sure you listened to the maintenance phase, but it yep. made me think about um, the episode they did on the presidential fitness test. I don't oh, know yeah. if you experienced that. Yeah, oh, that was that. like yeah. a huge part of my like disordered mm-hmm. eating journey oh. because you know, I was like, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to run the farthest and like be the most athletic and the skinniest and <laughs> all mm. these things. So I'm pretty sure they don't do it anymore. Right. I mean, like at my school, my daughter. I will have to check. I haven't heard anything from my kid's school, but I, I don't want to make a sweeping statement about <laughs> nationwide. <laughs> yeah. Well, and my daughter's in first grade too, and I haven't seen anything be sent home yet, mm-hmm. um, but they will definitely hear from me. They yeah. do. <laughs> So, you know, and it's probably like an interesting dynamic too, because the principal is, was my old boss from when I taught fitness classes. Mm. So, but I think that she, you know, is very much like exercise focused and they don't really like harp on good versus bad foods or talk about sugar or a lot of things Mm -hmm. like that. She again, hasn't mentioned it to me, but yeah, I think it's so frustrating. I think when I made that post, I was angry about something. Those are always Mm -hmm. my best posts when there's like some anger. (laughs) As well, you should be. I can't remember what it was. Who knows? It's probably something from some Facebook groups that you and I are probably in that have dietitians in them that make me angry on the regular. (laughs) 
And I was just like, you know, let's stop acting like, oh, eight out of 10 is diet culture. No, it's because you don't want them to be fat. Mm-hmm. Like you don't care about their health. You don't care if they starve themselves and do setups all night until they're sick. You just want them to be skinny. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it just made me really angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. I see that too. And, you know, my clients are in this position too. And again, we've, we've only learned the one thing we have learned fat body, even on a 12 year old is unhealthy. Right. And we don't hear the actual data, clinical reports that will say, no, actually, if we can honor our appetites and embrace their body, honest to goodness, this kid will be healthier than Mm -hmm. uh, certainly than restricting. Right. But it's that message, getting that message out there is swimming upstream because Mm -hmm. the message of thin, not only being healthier, but being beautiful and Mm -hmm. the value we place on that is it's just really pervasive. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm glad you're in the fight with me, though, because, <laughs> you know, I think that's the one good thing, if there was a good thing about the pandemic, is that there are more of us online and like being able to connect and mm-hmm. not feeling like I'm alone in this approach. So it is nice to have other dietitians mm-hmm. who, you know, have the same kind of viewpoint. Yeah, well, I think that's a pretty good note to end on because I wanted to highlight that I just love your Instagram. I think you're sharing awesome content all the time. I love the colors and the fonts. Yeah, I changed them this week. So cool. They're they're changed again because that's just what I love to do. Yeah. So so tell us your Instagram and where else can we uh, find more about you? Yeah. So I'm at Vickery Wellness on Instagram and Facebook. And my website is VickeryWellness.com. Great. I will put links to that in the show notes. And I really honestly appreciate you coming on telling the story. I know it's not easy to talk about. It's It sucks. And I hate that that is your story. But I love the work that you're doing now. And I think you and I have a shared goal here of helping parents notice these things earlier on and, and get their kids the support that they need um, so that it it doesn't snowball. And yeah, you know, so anything you want to add before we go? Nope. Just thanks for having me and my dog, Oliver, who is asleep behind me. So. <laughs> yes. Hi, Oliver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we really appreciate your time today, Courtney. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to my episode with Courtney. You can continue the conversation in the Raising Anti-Diet Kids Facebook group, which you will find linked in today's show notes. I will also include a link to a few resources that Courtney and I talked about. One is the book, How to Nourish Your Child Through an Eating Disorder, and the other is the podcast that Courtney mentioned called Maintenance Phase, which is just such a great podcast. If you like this podcast, you will love that podcast. Uh, It's not specifically about feeding kids at all, um, but it is a really great tool in the anti-diet fight for sure. I will link to their episode on the president's physical fitness test. Now, as you heard Courtney and I discuss, we weren't sure if schools were still doing the president's physical fitness test. And I did look into that and it was replaced in 2013 by a voluntary program called the Presidential Youth Fitness Program. I looked into it a little bit. It seems to be a little bit more cognizant of uh, basically not grading kids uh, either on their fitness levels or their BMIs. And it even goes into the harms of sharing that kind of information with kids, which Sounds great to me, but I am not a fitness expert, uh, especially not as it applies to fitness education in schools. Uh, But if you are, feel free to reach out because I would love to learn more. So thank you all for tuning in and don't forget to leave a rating and review. And until next time, embrace the mess.